Help! I'm confused about the transgender topic. Welcome everybody to a very quick video about transgenderism. Now, I am rubbing shoulders with church people every day who are a bit confused by the wave of this phenomenon and the increase of transgenderism. Christians, a bit worried. What should we think about these things? What direction should I go in? How should churches be? What does the Bible say? And so, welcome to two friends of mine. I call upon these persons here present to give a whistle-stop tour, help our thinking initially, sort of video type thing for people who don't have time to listen to a four-hour podcast or read a big tome on it, but they just want some initial thoughts. What's that cackling? Is that me? Is it me? I think it might be. It's just Not, you, it's you talking. It's, it's in your head. <laughs> it's all in your head. <laughs> 90 seconds-ish to answer three questions about this topic. And I want like distinctly Christian. Did you hear that? Did you hear that one? No. <laughs> no. Just tell the voices to be quiet. You'll obey them later. <laughs> what I want is distinctly Christian thoughts, because there's a lot of common sense. The whole world has reservations and slight worries about parts of this topic. But what's like Christian? How should we think as Christians? Roughly. Too long didn't read version. Three questions to each of my friends. What's going on? What does the Bible say about these things? And what should we be doing as churches or church members? Everybody clear? Got it. Right. And I apologize on Glenn's behalf because he has bad Wi-Fi. Sorry about that. But at least he's not cackling, which is me. Or crackling. Here we go. Paul Black, I'm over to you first. When it comes to the transgender topic, what is going on? I think it's important the different situation we're in now were in the past, in it where you've just got a general society and the men and women you meet are just a general mix of all kinds of men and women who are all kinds of personalities and gifts and things like that. That's how people coped with being a man and a woman in the past. But in the modern era, it becomes much more rigid and idealized. The media is full of visions of men and women who are not at all like real men and women that you just meet in normal life. And so people start to increasingly feel, I just don't feel comfortable with the vision of being a man or the, or the caricature of being a woman. And all these kind of ideals or expectations. This is what women are good at. This is what men are good at. Look at this guy. That's a real man. Look at this. This is a real woman. And huge numbers of people, increasingly so, just think, I, I, what am I then? I just don't feel comfortable in what, I don't even know what a man is anymore. I don't even know what a woman is. So there's a real sense of that, particularly because any bigger vision of men and women that's gone that's gone the like postmodernism let's get rid of all these rigid categories okay but now the weight of knowing what a man and a woman is it's kind of just down to you there is nothing there are no definitions in society that was about 70 seconds thank you very much would you like to use the extra 20 seconds paul 
No, no, I'll, it's yours. <laughs> Glenn. He cedes his time to Scrivener. I think one of the things that Christianity has taught us, or in fact, three things Christianity has taught us, has been equality, compassion, and consent. Equality, we are all equal. It doesn't matter what your age, race, religion, anything. We're all moral equals to one another. Secondly, compassion, we think that a society should be judged by the way it treats its weakest members. And on consent, we don't think that men have the right to force themselves on the bodies of other weaker people. And so consent comes to be very, very important in kind of the sexual relationship. And these are really heartfelt values that we all have. But as we walk away from the Christian story, the whole equality picture becomes less about being equally welcome around the same table in the same family and it becomes much more about being equally high up my own individual ladder and so we become incredibly individualized when it comes to the issue of compassion i think christianity would teach us to um, really prize and protect victims because christ the victim um, was slain for us and yet what it becomes as we walk away from the Jesus story is more about a race to become the victim. And so sociologists talk about competitive victimhood. We want, we want to be victims and claim victim status. And I think when it comes to consent in the sexual realm, we're all agreed that you must be able to consent um, if sex is to be a good thing. But that is now the only value we have, really when it comes to sexual relationships. And so you kind of put those three things together and it makes a really heady brew. We've got individuals who are trying to claim victim status and for whom your choice, especially your choice in the sexual realm is all important. And so of course you start to get things like um, uh, the claiming of a certain kind of minority status when it comes to be um, uh, when it comes to your sexuality and your choice to be whoever you are and to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with is actually a core part of your identity. So whereas in the Bible, that's just like a, a really side issue and who you are is defined by Christ. Today, that comes right front and center and who you choose to be sexually is really the core of your identity and to say no to somebody's self-identification there is to say no to their equal status as a human being and 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 to say no to some of the the most prized values we have so that's that's some of the that's some of the things that are going on thank you very much very perceptive perceptive comments there thanks now then what before we get to what can churches do about this or what are churches doing or should we do anything blah 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 what does the bible say about you had to have heard that one. No. What does no. the Bible say about these things? Uh, Paul? Yeah, it's interesting in the Bible because that weight of trying to define what it is to be a man or be a woman. In the Bible, it just starts with this kind of simple story of God designing man and woman. And they together are humanity together equal co-rulers of the world and so on but it doesn't say this is kind of what adam looked like this is how muscular he was this is how decisive he was this is what kind of a he was great at mechanic and reading maps or anything <laughs> and it doesn't do that for eve either there's just no sets of inbuilt personality characteristics or skills or anything like that 
all of that weight of idea about, oh, well, women are supposed to be good at this and they're supposed to have this emotional profile and they, or dudes are supposed to be like, the Bible just doesn't have anything like that. It's, there's a biological polarity, male, female, but what the content of that is, the Bible's just so broad on that sort of thing that it, it, it like we create very heavy burdens, cultures do, of expectations and clothing oh you got if you're a guy you've got to wear these sorts of clothes and if you're a woman you've got to wear these bible doesn't have any of that sort of thing and in the bible you have women who are warriors leaders judges monarchs uh all kinds of things and dudes that are uh, embroiderers cooks poets all kind of so in the bible you just have this enormous range of flexibility of what a man might look like what a woman might look like within this general umbrella that the lord's like saying i've made you male and female and i want you not to be upset about that or embarrassed about that but to trust that i've made you good and have a kind of gratitude for being that but don't feel that there's a weight of expectation. Culture's going to do that to you, but I'm not doing that to you. That's the message the Bible gives. Glenn, what does the Bible say about these things? I could boil things down to five different truths. I would say um, truth number one, God is love. So you come to Jesus and you try to find out what God is like. And he says, well, he's the son of the father. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The night before he dies, he prays, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus's picture of God is a God who is love. Uh, secondly, history is a love story. When you open up to page one of the Bible, the first sentence tells you God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, uh, heavens is masculine, earth is feminine. And you're meant to look at those two and say, those two should really get together. And actually, the whole story of the Bible is how heaven and earth unite, heaven and earth marry, because the prince of heaven, Christ, comes to marry his bride, and he pays off all her debts and gives her all his riches, so that by the end of the Bible, you actually have heaven and earth marrying again. And so actually, gender, sex, sexuality, it's woven into the fabric of the cosmos. So God is love. History is a love story. Um, sex is proclamation. It's not primarily um, just recreation or procreation. It's actually a proclamation of that great love story as husband and wife kind of take on the roles of Christ and the church. Um, the body is a temple, not so much a playground. I think these days we, we tend to think our bodies are like playgrounds that you just explore and just have fun with. But when things go wrong in the sexual realm, we realize that it's not just like getting a bruise on our shin in the playground or having a, a grazed knee. We realize that when things go wrong sexually, it feels like a desecration. It feels like sacred space has been violated. Why is that? The Bible says our bodies are like temples, not like playgrounds. And then the final truth is that our, our, our gender is a gift. It's a gift from a giver who knows us, who loves us. And it's a gift that we might not be comfortable with. I, I don't know how to be a man a lot of the time. I don't know what's expected of me to be a man. And as Paul has said, there's all sorts of cultural expectations that give great baggage to what is it, what is it like to, to be a man. But it's like a gift. And if somebody gives you a gift that 
you're not comfortable with some, let's say somebody buys you a, a fantasy novel and they say, look here, I think you'll really be into this. And you're like, I've never read fantasy novels before in my life. This doesn't sound like me, but you trust the person because they know you, they love you. And maybe you give it a few chapters. And after a while you get to kind of understand the gift and understand why the giver gave you that particular gift, because it is you, even if you didn't think it was you. Nowadays, I think we tend to think of gender, not so much as a gift, but as a gift token. You know, if somebody gives you an Amazon gift card, they, they probably don't know you very well. They probably don't even love you that much. You know, if, if, if they have chosen a gift that's right for you, then they know you, they love you. If they give you a gift token, then they don't really know you. Nowadays, we tend to think that whatever gender we were born with, it's like a gift token and I can cash it in and I can exchange it for this, that or the other. And I can create my own identity day after day. But that is a tremendous burden to put on a human being. And like minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, I'm a different person all the time. And if I look within into my heart to figure out who I really am, that's going to change on a daily basis. But the scriptures say my gender is a gift. It's come to me from outside. It's come to me from somebody who really loves me. So those are the five truths. I think God is love. History is a love story. Sex is proclamation, our bodies are temples, and gender is a gift. And I would say that's good news for the world. And to the degree that we walk away from that love story, I think we're walking away from love. So I, I just recommend people just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, just teach me again. It was over 90, but it was worth it. Okay. <laughs> Deducted 10 points. I bought my wife a pizza spatula for her birthday. Mm. Did she feel loved? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. And go. finally, gentlemen, what should churches do in this world of ours? Paul Blackham. I think the world we live in is a brutally hard world because all the expectations of defining yourself, knowing yourself, knowing how to live how to be authentic, how to live the best life, be fulfilled. All of that has ended up being funneled onto you as an individual. And that on all the kind of legacies and traditions of Christian culture or any culture, actually, all have kind of been with the acids of post-modernity, all gone and they're, they're considered all oppressive. So utter freedom in a way, it's, the idea is utter freedom to be whoever you want to be but the the entire weight then of the universe because even the meaning of the universe is is up to you what's it all mean that's up to you wow so i've got to bear the weight of the universe there's some and, it, and that's how people feel this tremendous mental health issues beyond the issues of just gender of uh, and identity massive because of the weight of it and so many people just can't but no one can bear it the, but there is this one human being who can bear it jesus of nazareth and the bible constantly says from the beginning chapter one right through to the end he can hold everything together he makes sense of it the entire universe he is the atlas that can hold the whole thing and for him, he actually enjoys it. He says, I, I love to do this. And he actually says, listen, the father has put everything onto me. And so I say to you, if you're just worn out carrying this weight, just come to me. I'll carry that and I'll give you rest and teach you the gentle ways 
to really be a human being. So church, because we have him at the center, there's this, there should be this tremendous feeling of oh, the weightlessness of not having to carry your idea, the meaning of the universe, but really where we feel it is the weight of our own identity and how to live and what to do and what it means. We cut church is so countercultural, revolutionary space where we genuinely say to people, don't worry about who you are or who you wish you were or what you've done or what you've been or forget all that. Just come into church, this family as you are, whatever that is, whatever that is all the mess, all the complexity, all the confusion, because this man is the one person, Jesus, who gets you. He actually gets you. And we are a community of people who don't want to hide anything. We can, we, is, this is the place together as a family where we can talk about really what we feel without any shame, without any condemnation, without any guilt, we can be honest about who we really are, what we really feel, in the confidence that he really can cope with us. So church, we don't want to be a place that is loading up weird cultural expectations, human inventions. We're the one place where we can drop all that. Thank you, Paul. That uh, shows the importance of church being about the man, Christ Jesus, and not a set of abstract concepts where he just slots in at the end. And you assume that churches are Jesus-centered, but they do need to be and not just assume it. I appreciate I teed that up as if there was going to be a response, but I'm not going no, to. I have used my time. I, I do not. <laughs> I do not. I, everything in me wants to go. Absolutely. Church has to be Jesus centered or else it becomes a mere human religion. And human religions are so oppressive because they do load up all the burden of you need to improve yourself or you need to attain the ideals of your God or the idea or the ideals of an ancient tradition. All human religion does that. And church can be one of the worst human religions when it does that. Remember, it was ancient church that when it wasn't Jesus centered, that killed him and killed his apostles. Religion is a horrific oppression. But Jesus, if we put Jesus at the center, the weight comes off and we're with somebody who look at the way he treated individuals around him. It didn't matter who they were, what their background was, what mess they were, what questions they had, their needs, anything. He just takes them on and is able to find out what's really going on with them and give them this tremendous confidence. I'm thinking of the woman at the well, and she's got so much baggage about who she is, what she's done. And yet with just about an hour with Jesus, she's suddenly an evangelist. She's going out, she's speaking to an entire city, winning them for Jesus. Boom, that's what happens if you're Jesus-centered, the freedom. But as I said, it wasn't open for comments. Over to... Um... <laughs> Over to Glenn. What should churches do? Now, that was brilliant. Thanks, Paul. What should churches do? Well, church is the body of Christ. And I think as a body together, we can figure out how to live bodily lives because all of us live with a certain disjunction between our inner mental life and our bodily life. All of us find that uh, a difficult subject, but in the body of Christ, in embodied kind of communication and fellowship with one another and eating together and talking together and walking together, 
we can figure out how to live bodily lives. And I've, I've seen it work, especially my, my wife has um, suffered with uh, severe anorexia, life-threatening anorexia a couple of times in her life. And it's very similar to the gender dysphoria issue because you've got a mind telling you you're fat and a body saying that you're severely underweight and critically ill. And there's a lot of overlap, I think, between eating disorders and, and, and gender dysphoria. In both of them, you have this disjunction between the, the life of the mind and, and the bodily reality. In both, there's a massive overlap with autism. Um, a lot of people who suffer with anorexia have autism. A lot of people who suffer with gender dysphoria also are on, on, on the autistic spectrum. And it tends to happen, especially to girls, especially on the, around the onset of puberty. I know that with my wife, she turns to anorexia as a way to stop her being a woman because she was frightened of being a woman. And so if you don't have fat, then you don't have breasts, you don't have periods, you can have the body of a boy by doing this. And so I, I totally get because I've lived with, um, with her and her struggles. And together, we've counseled countless people um, who live with this, this great disjunction between the, the life of the mind and the, and, the, and the life of the body. But what I would always say on, on the transgender issue is that when Emma met with Jesus in a profound way, and he turned her life around, she found solace in church. There was just a couple who said, look, we don't understand anorexia. We don't understand what's going on. But every Monday night, you can just sit and you can just pour out your, your heart, your soul, and we'll pray. And that's all they did for week after week after week after week, just in, the, in that life of the church. And eventually, Emma started to understand that her feelings on the inside could be expressed on the outside. She didn't have to hate her body because in the body of the church, those feelings kind of made sense. And then she eventually sort of got professional help. And, and I often say this to people, if, if the professional help went to Emma and they said, well, your mind is telling you you're too fat, but your body is underweight, who, who should the medical professional listen to? Should, should they listen to the, the mind of Emma or should they try and change the mind of Emma? And over time, you actually try to change the mind of the person who's suffering this, this split between mind and body. And that's, that doesn't, that's not a hateful thing, and it's certainly not an instantaneous thing. It is such a long road. It took years and years of life in the body of Christ for Emma to start to be comfortable in her own body and living out that whole bodily life. But life in the body of Christ is like that. We've got, we've, we're on a long road, a long journey together. Jesus meets us in the midst of, in the midst of all the mess. We can express all the difficulty that we have, but in that embodied life, we can, we can figure out again what it means to live as a child of God and, and to live with uh, an identity that comes to us from the outside and that is received as a gift, not as something that we're constantly trying to work up ourselves. So, that whole long game that the church plays in terms of just loving people, just sitting with them, hearing their story, praying with them, going on walks with them, living bodily life together, uh, that, that is the path towards health. Thank you. Could I sum it up like this then? Gender, sex, not a gift to be exchanged, but to be shared with the Lord Jesus and his church and grown sort of in the direction that he wants people to go. Is that about it? Mm. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you both so much for this whistle-stop tour video. It was never going to be 90 seconds, but <laughs> I'm not cutting anything out because this has been really helpful. He'll cut some bits out. <laughs> Especially the cackling bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I've oh, the crackling. But they're not yeah. going to know that I've cut any out because I've cut them out. You're not supposed to say that. But it's been a great help <laughs> to me. And uh, maybe we'll do it again one day on another help. I'm confused about something video. Um, listen to this. I thought about saying this to close this off this morning. If you're not a Christian, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because most people <laughs> close their YouTube videos off with doing it to their own channel, but I made it about him. Let him leave comments in your life. Wow. wow. Thank you both for coming. <laughs> I don't know if that's the end or not, but okay. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Owen. <laughs> Thank you.